Hello, everybody, and welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to be the kind of advisor people want to talk about. I'm Steve Wershing. In this episode, we talk with Chris Westfall, National Elevator Pitch Champion and author of the book, The New Elevator Pitch. In our conversation, we talk about the idea that although our industry has sort of gotten past the idea of a pitch, that the idea of an elevator pitch, which is to be persuasive in a very short period of time, is more important than ever. We'll talk about how you can't judge the effectiveness of an elevator pitch based on what you say, but rather on what people do once they hear it. And Chris will cover some of his surefire conversation openers to help you get into discussions about what you do. It's a great episode with a lot of practical ideas. And now, Chris Westfall. Well, Chris Westfall, welcome to the uh, to the Becoming Referrable podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So one of the things that's interesting about your background is that you are the National Elevator Pitch Champion. And so can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what the whole uh, competition is about? Well, it, it all started with a tweet, which is kind of strange to say that because I, I have a, I don't know, about 13,000 followers on Twitter. So my Twitter stream is pretty busy, but I saw a tweet somehow that, uh, there was an interest in finding out who had the best two minute speech in the, in the country. And it was put together by uh, a gentleman named uh, Jeffrey Hazlett. And that name may be familiar to, to some sure. folks out there. He was on Bloomberg TV and uh, uh, he's written a few best selling books. And he put together this, this contest to see who had the most compelling and persuasive two minute speech. And I, um, thought to myself, well, why not? Why not check it out? I'd been doing coaching and working with clients uh, and helping them on a number of different things, including their elevator pitch. And I said, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try it. So I went and I recorded a, a two-minute video and uh, submitted it to this competition. And I had to get votes from all over the country. It was a, a contest where you solicited votes via social media to watch the video. And actually, I came in second place in the national voting. Second place. Wow. Uh, yeah. An entrepreneur in Atlanta actually got the most votes. And uh, I thought, well, this was a great experience. I'm really glad that I did it. But then my phone rang and it was one of Jeff's team letting me know that I was the grand prize winner and the national champion. They had done like a, you know, like a voice American Idol kind of thing. And they said, you know what? Second place in the voting, but first place with us. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and then everything changed. So that was, that was how that, that recognition came to be. And that was what launched uh, the books and uh, really transformed the work that I was doing to help me to, you know, engage with financial advisors, Fortune 100 companies, et cetera. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. And, and what, what went into that? How did, how, did you, how did you go about putting together the pitch that won the, the competition? Well, it's, it's an interesting story uh, because it has to do with the the nature of what I recorded. And by the way, if anybody's interested, you can check it out on my uh, YouTube channel, which you can find uh, on YouTube at Westfall Online, or just put my name into YouTube, you'll find me. Uh, and I believe that the designations that we all have, CPA, MBA, maybe some of the folks out there are professional engineers or whatever the distinctions, CFA, whatever those distinctions might be. They're not enough today because there are a lot of folks that have a lot of designations and being able to distinguish yourself and not relying on your laurels, accolades or accomplishments to create real value is the challenge for all of us. 
And so I believe that people have to be able to tell their stories in a way that's compelling, that's engaging because it's not enough. I mean, it's great that you pass the CFA exam, but what else? And so I did my, my elevator pitch, if you will, was about how you've got to have an elevator pitch. (laughs) <laughs> and you've got to be able to tell your story. <laughs> How meta of you. <laughs> so that's what I did. Cause I, and, and because I believe it and it was, it was authentic. I, you know, it was sincere, as sincere as I can be about something. And uh, so that was the result. Well, and, and you bring up a real, you bring up a really important point too. And we talked a little bit about this before we started the recording, which is, it's not enough to be a CFA, CFP, CLU, you know, any of the designations, because, you know, first, what people want to know is not what credentials you have, but what you're going to do for them. But more importantly, you know, there's a zillion financial advisors people can choose from. And the big question is, you know, why, why, why you out of all the people I have access to, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that question has to be something that goes beyond uh, past performance, whether that's academic credentials or whatever it is, people are not interested in your history. They don't want a history lesson. They want to know the answer to this question. What can you do for me now? You hit it. That's the thing. People want to know why should I do business with you and what can you do for me right now? I mean, it's great that, that 2006 was a good year for you. It's not here anymore. What are you going to do for me now? Do you find, uh, Steve, you may hear this, that some people are recoiling a little because of the name elevator pitch, you know, that we sometimes get get convinced that somehow that sounds too salesy. I'm not pitching people. I'm trying to connect. Do you, do you actually think that term gets in the way? I don't know if that was sent to Steve. Do you want to take that one or you want me to? Well, no, well, I'll, I'll just throw something in here. It's a question for you, Chris, but you know, in, in, in what I do with advisors, I've actually gotten away from calling it an elevator pitch and we, we've, we call it a positioning statement, but, but what's, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the book that I wrote is called The New Elevator Pitch uh, because of exactly what Julie is talking about is that I don't want this idea that it's a pitch to shift people into some sales mode or to make a financial advisor think that they have to become someone that they're not in order to be compelling because the most authentic story is always the one that's most compelling. And if you're being someone that you're not, how is that effective? The new elevator pitch, it's not a pitch at all. It's a conversation and that's what clients want. They want a dialogue. They want a dialogue with someone that sees their needs in other, in ways that others don't or won't or can't. That's why people are going to do business with you. And it's not about the financial vehicles that you offer or the annuity plan, or it's, it's about the way that you connect first and foremost. I mean, ultimately it's going to become about the numbers and those sort of things, but numbers are points in a narrative. If you do it right, a narrative that's your story and it's not, it's not salesy. It's not pitchy. It's not fake. I mean, it's, it's just preposterous to think that there are some, some words that you could somehow say, or, you know, some memorized speech where the ninth word is abracadabra. And because that's a magic word, you get magic results. Preposterous. It doesn't work that way. You have to get clear about who you are and what you can do for the people that matter most to you. And, and not just, not just them, but in many cases, the people that they care about, right? If you're talking about succession strategies, if you're talking about family members, if you're talking about uh, transitioning a business, whatever the case may be, um, it's, it's not about your experience. It's about your client and, and the, the people that your client cares about the most. That's not a sales conversation. 
That's a dialogue about creating real results. You know, I, I think of what um, Edward R. Murrow, the great American newsman, said uh, in the, I guess it was in the 50s that he said this, but it was um, our greatest obligation is not to confuse slogans with solutions. And I think that that's really true when it comes to thinking of an elevator pitch, that it's about creating solutions, not about uh, magic words or some memorized prescriptive speech that makes people pull out their checkbooks. It just doesn't work that way. Well, and you know, it's a critical, it's, it's a critically important point too. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were talking about it because, um, you know, financial advisors tend to talk in their own technical speech, even when they're talking with, um, with prospective clients and, you know, what, what, where you really need to get is to, to connect with somebody like you're saying, and for, and for the prospective client to say, oh, oh, he gets me, he knows me, he understands. Because only at that point will a prospective client say, yes, you're the one I want to give me advice because you get who I am. Absolutely right, Steve. It's about, <clears throat> it's about seeing people in ways that they, maybe they don't see themselves. And it's, it's not about jargon, at least not initially. It's about really seeing people and uh, really engaging with them. I mean, I, you, you know, we were talking a little bit before about Julie's book and about engaging with your business even more fully. And I think that starts when you engage with your clients and really take the time. One of the things I talk about in, in my book and, and in the speeches that I give, the presentations and workshops, really focuses on something that I call you language. In other words, um, so many times we talk about our business and what we do. It's, it's easy to, to talk in first person, right? We talk about, uh, you know, I do this, I do that, or we, you know, first person plural. But when the conversation really gets powerful and engaging is when you make the second person first. And the second person is you. And I don't mean you, Steve, or you, Julie, or you, the listener, sure, I mean, sure. you, you, the person yeah. that you're, that, that exactly. matters most to you, the client. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and one of the, one of the, one of the best points I think in your book, you know, in, in general is that what you say is that it's uh, the best communication is judged not by what you say, but what the listener does when you're done. Can you tell us a little more about that idea? It's, it's a call to action to think about the action that you would like to create. And it's a, it's a variation on, you know, what Covey says, begin with the end in mind, but it, it's really thinking about if you are authentic, persuasive, and successful in what you'd like to, to create for your client, what's the next logical step, you know, and, and, and that word logical is really important because the action that you create, sure, you'd love to have them, uh, you know, <laughs> move all of their assets to you immediately and cut you large checks and all these kinds of things and a four-day work week and a country club membership and a pony and all those things that we want. But realistically, <laughs> what is the logical step, the logical action? And going for that in a way that's that's clear helps to show your client that you've thought things through that you're not out over your skis uh because that's that's the thing i think that that uh characterizes a sales pitch uh is is <laughs> broad ambitions that don't make sense and that's that's the death of of a financial conversation because there are four words that have to ring true at every step in the client conversation. And those four words, at least from my perspective, are I've thought this through. And, and maybe to add two more, I've thought this through for you. And yeah. Chris, that, you, you bring up this really interesting point because as you're talking, 
one of the things I keep thinking about is advisors I hear who who've either swung the pendulum too far where they they're they have become they're trying to become almost too cute for their own good and and say mm. something quite vague and and it doesn't feel right but where I actually find advisors that struggle the most is it if they if they haven't thought through the value and that might sound like something very obvious but if your elevator pitch is hi I'm a financial advisor I'm going to make you more money now we'd probably argue that's not very compelling but if you haven't actually articulated what more you do for clients and you're not confident in that is that really one of those first barriers that gets in our way of having an effective pitch I think it is Julie I think it I think it is because opening with a with a bold unsubstantiated claim about what you can possibly do for a client um how how is that I'm going to say it. How's that different than bragging? Mm-hmm. And and immediately the client's going to come back and say, you know, you can make me more money. How, how do you know that? How do you know anything about my portfolio? How do you know about where uh, where I'm positioned now or what my goals are? It's it's just it's a bridge too far. The best think about it. If if the new elevator pitch is a conversation, and what you want to have with your client is a conversation. Think about where the best conversation starts. Does it start with your accomplishments? Does it start with a history lesson on who you've served? Or does it start with what your listener is thinking? Does it start with where your client is? So many times financial advisors, and this is true across multiple industries, but what we try to do is convince clients to get where we are rather than starting where they are. And and what this means is, is that for the folks who are listening to this and thinking, you know, I've got 23 years experience in this industry, put it to work based on your 23 years of experience. What is the person right in front of you thinking right now? And this shift is the key to creating a new kind of conversation, a conversation that lets the client know exactly where your focus is. It's not on the financial vehicles. It's on their interests. And that shift is is transformational when people when people understand how to create that. So, um, do you want to? Why don't we get into your process then? Why don't we? You, you talk about seven steps for creating a new pitch. Since you've given us that introduction to it, why, as as that that pivot point, can you start walking us through um, how people can put together a pitch? Absolutely. In the book, I, I talk about. A concept that actually actually comes from Marcus Buckingham. He wrote a great book called The One Thing You Need to Know. And uh, I read the book. Surprisingly, there's more than one thing you need to know. I'm just spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's a book. It's not a pamphlet. But uh, he talks about there. <laughs> he talks about how uh, the one thing that all business leaders who are effective, the one quality that they all share is clarity, the ability to express an idea clearly. And uh, I, I believe in that. I subscribe to that. And so I use clarity as a seven step sort of a you know letter guide to step you through the uh, the process and you know the different letters in the word stand for different things like L stands for the language of leadership um, there's there's just a number of different things T stands for tact a number of steps because I, I believe that business of course is a process and and so too is creating the kind of conversation that you want of course you never know what someone else is going to say but by crafting and engineering the conversation 
you can guide the dialogue towards the outcomes that you want. And so that's really what, what the new elevator pitch, the book is trying to do is to provide people with a process so that they can engineer a new kind of dialogue and, and become more aware of, of how to convey their insights. And I, and I use that word very carefully because there's a difference between data and insights and what clients are interested in are insights not just data. And so that's what the new elevator pitch allows the reader to, to understand is what is that step-by-step process? And there's seven steps that I go through and it's, it's really, it's not about, did you include all seven steps, check every box, then you will create a great outcome. No, (laughs) it's about, it's about seven areas for people to think about, to be provocative. And like any guide, it's up to the financial advisor to choose what works best for them. But by by providing this outline, it helps people to put a process to conversation, which is not something that we typically think about. So so that's that's how the the seven step process works in the book. So how and if what, you were an, an advisor coming to you, for example, how would you get them started? How how should somebody listening to this um, get started in in refining that pitch? Well, I provide in the book and, and in the, the speeches that I provide, I offer four conversation starters that help to connect with with the client and, and to transform the conversation. And I'll, if you'd like, I can share these with you right now. That would be great. Yeah. That would be great. Um, and, and these conversation starters, they, a couple of things that I want to point out, they help to uh, connect with the client and acknowledge their expertise, which I think is very, very important when you're dealing with high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. If you come in and say, let me tell you what you don't know about financial plan, you know, that's a non-starter, isn't it? Well, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I think a lot of advisors do that. And, and yeah, it's, it's totally turns the conversation the wrong direction. Well, and what what happens if you acknowledge the expertise that's right in front of you? And I don't know whether you're talking to a doctor or a professional or a business owner. I mean, I don't know who the client might be. I can I have suspicions. But when you're talking to that individual, that acknowledgement, that recognition is very powerful. So let me give you a couple of of introductions, just statements that, that can help you to set the stage for a conversation. Somebody says, comes up and says, why should I do business with you? Tell me about yourself. First one is, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed, and this is, again, this is a phrase that, that leads into uh, something that the client would notice. Have you ever noticed how doctors are always looking for ways to take better care of their families and to extend their business? Uh, something like that. Something that all God's children would say, oh yeah, that's true. Have you ever noticed? And, and the conversation, the conversational construct goes like this. It's something that your client would recognize as being true, followed by something that is unexpected, surprising, counterintuitive, or innovative. Have you ever noticed is one. Another one is, you know how. You know how, dot, dot, dot. Something that your client would say, yes, that is absolutely true, followed by something that is counterintuitive. A couple of things that I want to point out. When you start the conversation with a question, which by the way, these are their leading questions, the the impact to your listener, in fact, scientific studies show that you have a 71 to 82% better chance of being heard and listened to and understood when you begin the conversation with a question. It, it asks your listener to put themselves in the story. 
to imagine, if you will. Now you've got an active participant rather than someone who's being pitched. You follow me on that? Yeah. Sure. So these two, these two introductions, they borrow from the presentation strategies of Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs, who would come out on stage and say, you know how we see the world a certain way. How do you like the world when I pull my laptop out of a manila envelope? And he did it not, not in, with a spirit of arrogance, but with a spirit of invitation, with a spirit of, of innovation. So, so those, are, those are two strategies that can open up the conversation. The third one, which I think is really powerful, is I'll never forget the time when. And this is very useful if you have a defining moment in your past that has put you on the path that you are on today. I'll never forget the time when a business owner, 54 years old, just like you are, came to me in a similar situation, owning a manufacturing company, unsure how he was going to transition out of the business, dot, dot, dot. And it's, it's an entree into a conversation. When you say, I'll never forget the time when, if you do this right, there's no way you can't be completely authentic because you're speaking of a memory. You're speaking of something that you've done. And while the past is no indicator of future performance, it does showcase your thought process, the way that you interact with clients. And I think that's so vital because at the end of the day, and Steve, you've said it, people engage with financial advisors because of the experience of working with you. And I'll never forget the time when as an entree into that experience. And, uh, and one a, of the I'm sorry. One of the things I love about those comments are that that you're you're either start you're either using a question, which will engage people, or you're you're initiating a story which will engage people. And so, at no point are you making really statements, but you're either drawing the the listener in and and having them participate, or you're telling them a story which we're all wired to be really interested in. And the and the. The takeaway, I think, for folks who are listening to this, the financial advisors is when you get done talking to someone, do you want them to say, wow, that financial advisor was really an expert or wow, that financial advisor made me feel like an expert. And I think their expertise can help me to be better and to reach my goals. I think category two, because <laughs> there yeah, are a lot of experts out there. So, well, and, and not only that, but you know, it, it, uh, you'd like to leave people with the feeling that this is somebody I'd like to talk to further. Sure. Absolutely. And for the clients that financial advisors are dealing with, they, they don't, they don't have to be in bad shape for you to help them to be better. In fact, if they're, <laughs> if they're high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals, as I suspect they are, um, they're in pretty good shape. So acknowledging that expertise and creating that shared dialogue, and there are more steps to the process, obviously. I mean, we're just scratching the surface, but understanding how to, how to negotiate those waters and, and use a leading question that, that doesn't come across like, Hey, this is, you know, this is my first rodeo. Where are all the cows? Uh, <laughs> that's not the objective. It's, it's, it's a question about something that they, they will identify and they will know that demonstrates not just your expertise, but your understanding, your understanding of their situation. And the, the fourth one, in case you're curious, the fourth one is, doesn't it seem like, which is to say, doesn't it seem to you like, but the, the you is implied, but doesn't it seem like, and again, the conversational construct is, doesn't it seem like the world works a certain way? Well, guess what? When you work with us, there's, there's some some interesting surprises. There's, there's something that's counterintuitive about the way that we go about business and articulating that in a way that, that 
makes your clients say, tell me more is the key because, because tell me more lets you know that you've created a dialogue, a conversation. So many times uh, the financial conversation gets shut down. Oh, I've already got a guy. I've already got a guy. Sure. You know, sure. Right. <clears throat> exactly. The antidote, the antidote is tell me more. That's what right. you're looking for. What's the, what's the tell me more? What is the tell me more about for you? That's the action that you want to create. And I think one of the things that you're talking about, too, is that you're asking a question, but you're not asking an obvious question. I, you know, I, we bump into a lot of advisors that will, they'll, that will say, okay, so what kind of questions could you ask potential clients? And they'll come back with obvious questions like, wouldn't you rather feel more, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to feel more comfortable about your financial situation? Or wouldn't you like to make more money? Or wouldn't you like to have less risk? And it's, those questions don't really take, they don't engage people. They, they're not interesting. Right. And, and they do sound salesy, but you're talking about questions that, like you said, acknowledge the client's experience and acknowledge their their worldview and maybe even, you know, sort of clue them in that there's a surprise coming. And can exactly. I just ask a, a quick question as well? Because, I mean, we work with so many advisors who are, you know, skilled and authentic and have and can change the lives of, of these folks. I mean, it's and and yet it it's almost like they're they need to work a different muscle, like based on what you're saying. So for, if for 23 years I've been telling people I'm a financial advisor and, and people generally get what I mean by that, and now we're asking them to do something that's, that's quite different and might feel uncomfortable at first. Do you run up against that, Chris? How do you, how do you help people break through that? It's by sharing a process and Understanding that, yes, Julie, you've actually, you've hit it. It it is using some new muscles. The good news is that we all have these muscles and it's something that, that we can grasp. And I, I share these strategies and tactics with accountants, engineers, scientists. I mean, these are, um, these are strategies that are inside all of us. But we fall back to old habits, don't we? We fall back to to, uh, to wild promises to try to be enticing. Uh, and it does feel salesy. And the clients know that. And they know what that smells like. And they don't want to step in it. Mm -hmm. hmm. So... <clears throat> So, yeah. so tell me a little bit about using this with engineers. I'm fascinated by that. And we have, there are a number of financial advisors who either dread working with engineers or relish working with engineers. Um, but, you know, mo most people in our business acknowledge that the engineering personality is sort of an animal unto its own and not one that's necessarily responsive to the emotional appeals or the, you know, the, the more, uh, uh, you know those those kinds of uh, those kinds of expressions. I know that not to be the case, but it sounds like you've got some real insights on that. You know, tell us a little bit about having a conversation like this with an engineer. When you're working with an engineering personality, and by the way, I'm going to speak in general terms, and there are always outliers when you speak in general terms. So uh, let me just preface that. But in when you're working with a, an engineering personality, an analytical personality. It, Bold emotional claims are to be avoided, but at the same time, all of us, and now I'm speaking not about engineers, I'm speaking about human beings. We are all wired to listen to our emotions. Our, our heart drives our head. I mean, believe me, when we were, when my wife and I were buying a house, I didn't present her with a spreadsheet that provided her with the information about the, the best areas that we could afford. I didn't do that. I waited until we walked in and she went, wow, this is the place. Mm -hmm. And then I got out the spreadsheet 
And then I did my homework and the, the analysis followed. So the key in dealing with, with the engineering personality, if there is such a thing is to understand that what is top of mind for engineers is creating things that work. And if you have a solution that works, getting quickly to that, that path, that process can be very, very powerful. At least that's, that's what I saw last year when I was working with a team of engineers and scientists that actually, I, I coached them to victory in the rice business plan competition, which is the largest and most lucrative of its kind in the world. And I watched these, these young men win. uh, it was close to half a million dollars in cash and prizes in one evening based on their business pitch. So I, I know that these, these ideas work. I know that they resonate and it's, it's not in fact, it's absolutely not about making making bold claims and throwing things out there, hoping that people will go, oh, wow, so you could help me to create a wonderful life. What the hell does that mean? That's, that's, not, a, that's not a path. That's not a strategy. There has to be a process that engages both the heart and the mind. And, and that's really what, you know, that's really what the book is about. That's really what my platform is about. And, and the workshops that I've done for, for financial advisors and companies step them through how to, how to do that and how to handle objections and create the dialogue that they want really engineering that conversation. Interesting. Now, um, Financial advisors have the challenge of talking not only to prospective clients, but they also have to talk with centers of influence who may be in a position to refer them to clients, accountants and attorneys and, and folks like that. It, would, would you create different, a, a different process or a different elevator pitch for talking with centers of influence rather than prospects directly? Well, an effective, an effective pitch, or let's, let's say an effective new elevator pitch, isn't a memorized speech. It's, it's a recipe. It's a process. So as you understand the process and you change who you wish to influence, obviously the conversation changes. But when it comes to providing ammunition to uh, attorneys and folks who are in positions of influence, it's really about asking yourself this question. What's, what's in it for them if they refer you and, you know, maybe that answer is uh, cash or whatever. I mean, I don't know how you, you structure it financially, but why from a, an intellectual standpoint, why is it in their best interest to provide you with that referral and giving them that ammunition? Because th- that's th- what you're doing is you're helping them with their pitch. Right. And you, you certainly don't want them to say, well, I get, you know, there's 20% coming my way. If you use this guy, no, 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 no. Well, stop, stop the truck. There needs to be a conversation about why this individual, this financial advisor is intimately, personally, and powerfully focused on your needs and, and the attorney or, or whoever else is making the referral needs that, that ammunition. So you have to, I think, understand how to craft your message first so that you can help others to create theirs. And then when you do that, now you've scaled your business because now you've, you've got evangelists out there who are articulate and clear on the value proposition that you can create. And that's going to create a groundswell. And that's, that's the best marketing you could ever hope for is that word of mouth from other trusted advisors. And, you know, it, it, it brings up a, uh, 
a really important point, and and that is, you know, a lot of what what I've done is organized around referrals, and and what you've just articulated is you're not just talking with that one per- potential person who might become a client, but you're teaching them how they can talk about you to other people. Think about it. You you've touched on something, Steve, that I really want to underline here. Isn't it about teaching people how to buy? Isn't isn't financial services? Isn't it really? I don't think it's about sales. I think it's about teaching people how to buy. It's about teaching people how to use their resources more wisely. And that's a different conversation. There's, there's no, there's no push there. There's only service if you do it right. And for me, my business is about service and the clients that I serve understand that as well. And when you get clear on the service that you provide, it's, it's not about the vehicles. It's not about the annuities. It's not about, it's not about that. It's about where your client is and getting, getting clear about them. And, and people listening may think, well, that's why we, you know, we ask 72 questions and that sort of thing, which is important. You have to be able to probe effectively and you have to do your, your due diligence as well to find out what you're really looking at and what you're really dealing with. But, but to start the conversation, to accelerate the conversation. What is it that you know about your client right now? And when you realize that you've been in the financial game long enough to set your business aside and focus on theirs in new and more powerful ways, that's when the conversation changes. And if I'm, I'm going to speak frankly here, Steve, if you don't change the conversation, how do you change your results? Right. Well, that's the, that <clears throat> that may be the most important question when we have, you know, when, when this gets uncomfortable for advisors and they've got to do something different, new, you know, where, where we get a lot of resistance is, you know, we, we talk about what to do and then we send the advisor out to try it on a bunch of people. And half the time they come back and say, well, no, I didn't have a chance to talk with anybody. We, I've even had people drop out of the program because it just gets so uncomfortable to be in that in that zone where you're not that good yet trying something new and what you just said is is exactly is exactly right is you know you need to you know what what's you need to do something different you need to change if you're not satisfied with how your business is going now let let me ask a broader question about that you know there's a lot that's changed in marketing and communications over the past bunch of years you know in terms of um, you know, reaching directly out to clients in, instead of going through intermediaries and social media and all those kinds of things. You know, what what's changed in the last few years that um, that makes understanding the new elevator pitch more important? I think today is about a conversation. It's not. It's not about the posts. It's not about the blog. It's not about the content. It's about the comments. And, and there's a quote that I, I love from a guy named Jack Stack, who wrote a, a book called The Great Game of Business. And he says, people will support what they help to create. And if you want to know if you've got a powerful branding message, of course, you got to look at, you know, what's your logo look like? and What's your website look like? Of course, that stuff is important. But the really important stuff is how are people helping you to create your brand? How are you driving that engagement? And today, so much of marketing is focused on, on content, right? You hear, everybody hears that content marketing is king. You know, you got to have content and stuff like that. Here, here's what I think is important for financial advisors to realize. Context is more important than content. And that context is not, here are the products and services that we offer. That context is, 
I see you. I see your puts and takes. I see your challenges. I see the people that matter most to you, whether, and, and I see what legacy means to you. Um, and to have a conversation around these ideas really starts the conversation with what your listener is thinking, what your audience is thinking about. And when you start the conversation there, you create resonance, you know, that, that resonance that says, I, I see you. I I see things the way that you see things. And if you think about that, the clients that come to you, the clients that you have now, even the, even your friends, even the, your, you know, your spouses and partners and things like that, there's the source of that connection is resonance. We see things in the same way, or you have a perspective that, that, that I'd like to share. Sharing that perspective is a broader and more compelling conversation than simply talking about the products and services that you offer or your track record or your list of clients. Because quite frankly, your next client doesn't care about your current clients. Your next client, you know what business your current, your next client is focused on? They're focused on their business, not on yours. And that inflection point, focusing on your client in a more powerful way is the key to, to a very, very powerful conversation. That's where it all starts. That's so important. I tell, hey, you're speaking my language now. I, we talk a lot about co-creation of value. And, and in a way, you know, with the stack comment and what you're saying, um, it, it is about conversation. It's about a very different thing. So I appreciate that. So I know we're just, we're just coming up on time. And this, your insights have been just so great and so actionable, which I thank you for, because I know we're looking for something specific. Let me ask you that question that we always need to ask at the end of these things, which is, if you're listening to this, you're a financial advisor, you know, what do you think they should put on their list to do today to get started? Well, if you're a sole proprietor or you have a team, I would encourage you to sit down and think about what is top of mind for your current clients and what's top of mind for your next client? You know, it's the difference between walking in and going, hey, tell me, what is it that keeps you up at night? Which is, I mean, that's the financial services equivalent of, would you like fries with that? <laughs> I just, you know, you, you know, you know what it is, don't you? I mean, if, if, you've, if, if you've been in this industry for more than 10 minutes, you know what, what people are thinking about. Why not start the conversation there? Why not say, you know how? And what comes out of your mouth next is the most honest thing that you can say about your client's current state. What would happen? What would happen if you had the courage to start there? What would happen if you had the courage to say, I'll never forget the time when I was working with a client that was in, I think, the exact same situation you are. What would, what would happen? And follow it by something that, that demonstrates the experience of what it's like working with you. And, and if in the first two minutes you mention any products or services that you offer, you please, please stop. Don't make that mistake. Yeah. Make the connection, make the connection first because context connection that trumps content. That, that would be, that would be, that would be the place where I would start. And if you have a team, ask them, what is top of mind? What do you think? And, 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 and start, start the dialogue, practice it. You know, financial advisor, we don't, we don't practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we just go play. You, you look at the folks that are, you know, pick your favorite sports team or think about a, a performance, a theater performance, or if you go to the ballet or whatever, you know, those performers, they rehearse for hours and hours and hours. Those athletes, the, the season is, is only a portion. The game is only a portion of what they do. Why don't we practice? Why as financial advisors don't we practice more? 
Maybe it's that we don't know, we don't know the drills. So take time, take time to think about that and invest in your business before you ask others to invest with you. Yeah, so perfect. It doesn't happen by accident. You're absolutely right. Hey, so you've mentioned a few things. We're going to make sure we include all the links in the show notes. But where can, you know, what are you working on right now? Where can advisors find you? Well, you can find me online on my website, and it's westfallonline.com. And my last name, it's spelt just like it sounds. It's the direction and the season, westfallonline.com. You can also find me on YouTube. And I have, Julie, I have over 200 videos on YouTube, and I'm, I'm close to a million video views of some of the things that we've been talking about today demonstrated in front of live audiences so you can see how these these communication strategies come to life. And you can find me on youtube.com forward slash Westfall online. Uh, I also have a pitch course if you want to know how to pitch your business effectively. It's called the 118 Pitch Course. You can find that on a website called Udemy, and that's U-D-E-M-Y dot com. And uh, if you plug in my name there, uh, you should be able to find it. It's called the 118 Pitch Course. It's I did it in conjunction with Jeffrey Hazlett. He and I are, are on that course together. And it will show you with about uh, an hour and a half of video content how to pitch your video, uh, your business more effectively. So those are some resources that are out there. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been great. Uh, appreciate all of that, and we'll make sure that we get all of these links in the show notes. So thank you again. Well, thank you, Julie and Steve. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, just to everybody who's listening, I wish you all the best. And if I can be of service to you, uh, don't hesitate to contact me. My business is about service. So thank you. Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.